Here we are at Pot and Market. It is 2022, and that means it is an election year for municipal offices in Newark. Newark is unlike many other jurisdictions. We have an off-off cycle election. That is, our election not only occurs in a year separate from the U.S. presidential and New Jersey gubernatorial elections, but it also occurs in May, as opposed to November when the federally recognized election day occurs. This makes the city's election a little more obscure to many, including the many residents of this city. As part of an effort to inform listeners of this podcast of the candidates who are running and the issues at stake, I will invite every candidate for citywide office onto the podcast to explain why they are running and answer a few questions from me. A personal note, because of my involvement in the East Ward race and my active support for one of the candidates, I will not be conducting those interviews and instead will be searching for volunteers to handle those. Before all this, however, I have asked Mark Bonama to join us on the podcast to talk about the lay of the election landscape, what will be important this election cycle, and what we can expect from the election. Mark is the editor-in-chief of Tap Into Newark and has long reported on local news and politics in the city. Tap Into Newark has been, for the last three years, named the state's best local news website by the Society of Professional Journalists. So, how you doing, Mark? Can't complain. Every day above ground's a good day. <laughs> I know, especially, um, you know, we're recording this in the midst of the, you know, of the crazy news out of Ukraine. So, um, exactly. you know, it puts it all into perspective. You know, people fighting for their democracy halfway across this world. Um and it's just as important, I think, here to, you know, to talk and to live up to our own rhetoric, right, about democracy and Absolutely. the importance of local governance. Um, and I know I also tap into just a little shout out to you guys. You guys have been reporting about those issues um, very positively, I think, especially the fact that there are Ukrainians in Newark. And it's something that's kind of overlooked sometimes. Certainly. Yeah. Uh, but to get to the issue at hand, so uh, it's an election year, and I'm wondering... Uh, just to start off, to get listeners familiar, um, you know, what, um, obviously we have the list of candidates who are running, and I'll include that on the we- the show's website. The city clerk has been keeping track of the petitions. But I just want to ask, what do you think are like the biggest issues we're facing this year, the ones that are going to be the most relevant to voters? Well, first of all, you have to look at the overall superstructure of how elections work in Newark and how Every four years, things get suddenly very intense once spring has sprung in an election year in Newark. Ever since 1954, uh, Newark has had what they call a Faulkner Act type of government uh, where you have, you know, strong mayor and an active council. We've got nine council members, right? Five of them represent each of the five wards, north, south, east, west, central, geographically. And then there are four council members at large. And since the 50s, every four years, both the mayor and the council all get elected at once. So, you know, what you've seen historically in Newark for a long time was a lot of friction between the mayor and the council. You know, whether it was Hugh Adonitsu in the 60s, Ken Gibson in the 70s and the 80s, Sharp James in the 80s and 90s, uh, moving forward to Cory Booker in the 2000s until he went on to the U.S. Senate. Since that t- since uh, the election of current Mayor Ross Barak in 2014, uh, there's been relative peace on the council. But I think as we as we go along talking about this election, you know, 
looks can sometimes be deceiving. And in 2022, what makes things potentially very interesting, which we'll also talk about in detail, is Ross Baraka is, as of this time, there's no significant opposition to him for mayor in 2022. But on the council, there are a couple of races that are particularly interesting that could change potentially the balance on the council and you know lead to a situation where essentially Ross Baraka wakes up. He's certainly the chief executive, if you want to look at it as the executive branch of the New York City government. But the legislative branch, the council, uh, might not be completely in his favor anymore, depending on what happens in May. In our May elections, which is another point, uh, it is not, in many, like many New Jersey municipalities, our elections are not, particularly some of the larger municipalities, our elections are not in November for mayor and council. They're in May. Yeah, it's funny that you you bring this all up. Obviously, there's a lot there, but you know, you bring up the tension in the council races, and that there are definitely at least two, maybe three, races that seem to be pretty competitive. Um, putting aside the at-large races, which is a weird quirk uh, that's kind of hard to explain to people, mm-hmm. but. With the mayor running, well, actually, let's start before we get to the consequences of the mayor running unopposed. Let's just ask why is the mayor running unopposed? What, uh, why hasn't there been a significant challenger as of yet? Well, I, I think in certain ways he's got the advantage of the incumbency. Um, it was a competitive election in 2014. 2014 was the first essentially post Cory Booker race. Uh, Cory Booker uh, had been mayor until. Uh, 2013, he ultimately decided to throw his hat in the ring to become U.S. Senator after Frank Lautenberg uh, passed away, ultimately proving successful. Then it left a vacancy for a while. Uh, Councilman Louis Quintana was the uh, interim mayor, uh, but did not run for the open seat in in 2014. You had Ross Baraka, then the South Ward Councilman, against Shavar Jeffries, um, Shavar Jeffries, local civil rights attorney, um, in a close election, a relatively close election, it was about 53 to 47%. Uh, Ross proved triumphant. His overall strength in the South Ward, the South Ward base, say the West Ward, parts of the Central, ultimately uh, proved to be the difference in that race, while Shavar Jeffries did well in the North and the East. And, you know, again, we can talk about certain mm-hmm. basic geographic blocks. In, in Newark going forward. In 2018, Gail Cheneyfield Jenkins ran against him, but, you know, kind of ran a desultory campaign, uh, didn't have a lot of money, didn't have a lot of backing, didn't have, say, the union backing that has, up until this point, played a very important role in uh, Ross Baraka's success. Again, in classic urban elections in New Jersey, you need troops on the ground. Union support can give you those troops on election day to get the bodies to the polls. Uh, to you know, turn turn the vote out in a way that you will ultimately be successful. You could have the greatest candidate on earth. You could be the greatest candidate on earth. But if you do not have the structure to get people to the polls, to get you in the office, it's essentially all for naught. In terms of elect, in terms of issues going forward, there there are certain issues that are always going to be in play in Newark. Um, certainly, public safety is an issue. It's, it has been for decades, even though crime has overall gone down in Newark. But what you're seeing constantly, you know, sub rosa in terms of our politics in Newark is questions of development, 
or redevelopment or the resurrection of the city. Many times people look at the word as gentrification as you know, fraught with all sorts of tensions that we don't necessarily need to discuss here. But in terms of the redevelopment of the city, you just go around the city, you see the condos going up, right? Now, all cities, because of what's happened with the COVID pandemic, there's questions, are people going to want to live in the cities? You have combination retail residential developments going on. Will the people fill those buildings if they don't have to fill the offices downtown that they used to, Mm. right? Then there's always an issue, I think, under the surface in a lot of ways, you know, you're talking about infrastructure. We saw with Tropical Storm Ida, particularly in neighborhoods uh, such as the Ironbound, which comprises mostly the eastward of the city, uh, what happens when infrastructure is not taken care of? You know, we recently got through the lead water pipe issue about having good pipes throughout the city of Newark. Um, County Executive Joe DiVincenzo, by having a very good bond rating that he's developed over the years, was able to significantly help the city of Newark get those pipes in place. But at the same time, all you had to do to see was when we had, you know, very hard rain, rain that, you know, was 10 times the normal amount of rain potentially, but even in rains, when days it rains, when it, it's, you know, a fraction of what you saw for Tropical Storm you see people needing a rowboat to get around, you know, get around the Ironbound Ferry Street. You really do need a ferry. Yeah. And you look around the city. You know, these basic structural issues need to be addressed. Simple taking out the trash, public services, municipal services, the classic elections that are going to be in any city are in play every four years. And you know, Mayor Baraka as the mayor has to be held to account. This is when the voters get to weigh in. But as we're saying this year, no significant challenger has emerged, um, a well-funded one, a well-known one that could uh, give Mayor Baraka a proverbial run for his money. Those same issues, quality of life, public safety, infrastructure, redevelopment, this can all play out as a mosaic in each of these ward elections that you're going to be seeing going forward. Yeah, I'm actually really glad you brought up 2014 because I think it's good to talk about the history here. I mean, obviously, we're here to talk about, you know, what's at stake right now. Right. But, uh, and in full disclosure, uh, I worked with Shabar Jeffries in my old law firm. It's He's someone I know both professionally and somewhat personally. Right. But, you know, the, the cool thing about that race is – um, it's the exception, not the rule. I often joke to people that we don't elect in Newark, we coronate. Um, like right. street, yeah, street fight, uh, the street fight year, 2002, the, probably the most famous Newark election, I would argue, um, right. in history. Um, uh, maybe again, Ken Gibson's for its like legacy, like its importance is a legacy matter, but in terms of pop culture and launching a national public figure, I think uh, 2002 is very important because yes, um, an Oscar nominated documentary. Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right? right. But that was a blowout. Like he lost badly to Sharp James. And then four years later blows out, I think Ronald Rice. Right. And like what makes 2014 so unique in its own way is that it was a close, I mean, no, most people wouldn't call 5347, I think, which is the breakdown, a close election. But for Newark, that's something we have not seen, I guess, not since before the reform of city, the city government in the 60s, I think it was, right? Um, yeah, because Ken Gibson in 1970 was elected by a relatively narrow margin. But once mm-hmm. again, when he had the advantages of the incumbency and was perceived to have been doing a good job, he won by large margins since then. Yeah. You know, 
Sharp James in 1986. Again, him taking over after 16 years of Ken Gibson in charge. Same thing. Might be a little close in the first time, but then for the next 20 years, he was winning by a relatively large margin. But, you know, 2006 was interesting because 2002, the year of, you know, the Street Fight documentary when, you know, Cory Booker uh, decided to go all in, not just be a central ward councilman, but go for the big spot as mayor. Uh, the numbers are 52-47 or something close to that in terms of the overall election, but Sharp still was able to blow Booker out in the wards where, again, the South Ward, which is also a power base for Sharp James, um, the West, the Central. A lot of times, the North and the East are vote differently from the rest of the city, Um, and part of that is um, kind of the nature of the wards. There's a lot of home ownership um, both in the East and the North Ward. The East Ward, you know, people, Portuguese immigrants, you know, built up their American dream, very house proud um, in terms of home ownership. You've got a section of the North Ward where there are serious middle class home ownership, but also you go to the Forest Hill section where, you know, the old mansions from the brewers from the 19th to the 20th century and accountants and lawyers and captains of industry. You've got houses with lawns, you think you're in South Ward or Montclair. They also, in certain ways, um, think differently than other, other parts of the city. It's also demographic. Uh, the North Ward and the East Ward are uh, largely Latino, Hispanic, depending on what term you want to use, Latinx. Um, and that is a considerable factor going forward in, in Newark elections because demographics are changing in this city. Uh, Newark is only about 51 to 52% African American at this point. And I have the exact number right here. 50.1% according to the United States census. Um, If you, if you don't include people who identify with two or more races where things get a little dodgy, but yeah, that's the official black. And 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 tell me if I'm wrong. I think Latinos are now next is, I think About it's what? 35 or 25. Uh, it's going to take me a second. It, to pull it, it's 35. Up, yeah. It might be even closer to 38. And, yeah. and again, those numbers are rising. The right. city is changing. So, you know, you see in elections to come, like this election in terms of mayor is is probably going to be, unless something dramatic happens, I mean, politics can be crazy, but still, particularly in a city like New York, it will be a blowout for the mayor. Yeah. But in terms of council races to come, mm. again, if there's a change in balance on the council, um, you have uh, a Latino block on the council. You have Anibal Ramos um, in the North Ward. You have at-large Louis Quintana and uh, Carlos Gonzalez. Um, Augie Amador, also whilst being Portuguese, not exactly Latinx, he would tend to often vote with the, the other three gentlemen that I mentioned. It's part of a general divide you see in Newark and Well. You have, you have the Baraka family, the Baraka power base, right? And the other men, gentlemen I just mentioned, Amador, Gonzalez, uh, Quintana, and Anil Ramos are tied in many ways to the North Ward Democratic machine. Um, still, Essex County, Joe DiVincenzo Jr., looming as the overall power broker of that block. And while for the last couple of years you've seen relative peace on the council, um, you know, the gentleman I just mentioned, um, except for Augie Amador, which we will talk about. He's, mm. he's retired and now there's an open seat. You know, they're all on that council slate. 
with Mayor Baraka, but some observers of New York politics say they're lying in wait. They know the numbers are shifting in their direction. They're wondering if in time there's going to be a, a true challenger to Ross Baraka. They were with Shavar Jeffries uh, in 2014. They potentially could be very amenable to a, a truly vital and viable challenger to go against them if that was to emerge. And if the council balance was to change by only one, two, maybe three seats, Things could be dramatically different. You could say for the last couple of years, it, it's at least been five to four in terms of devoted allies to Ross Baraka, not necessarily, you know, trying to go along to get along to, to help their votes in, say, the North Ward or the East Ward, but no, no real necessarily loyalty or, or devotion to Ross Baraka. They could be seeing, looking, waiting perceiving an opportunity to come, and then the whole shift changes. I, I know this sounds like a really dumb question, but is, I, that's essentially what the Team Baraka slate has been created to do, right? I, did this exist in previous elections? Was it named as such, this idea of... I mean, we don't have... Obviously, we're nonpartisan, but this is an attempt to create a party within the city, it looks like, right? Well, I mean, you know, look, you've, you've put, raised a very important point. Our elections are nonpartisan, right? But they're certainly voting blocks, you know, um, again, Ross Baraka, the Baraka family name, um, for many, holds power in the city of Newark. There's always the memory of the esteemed poet Amiri Baraka. Branding yourself as Team Baraka, you know, that link to the past where Amiri Baraka, you know, also played a, a critical role in the 1970s, helping to build the coalition between blacks and Puerto Ricans at that time for Ken Gibson to become the first African-American mayor of Newark. That name still holds power at that level, and Mayor Baraka has built up um, his own power base, essentially in the South Ward. But again, you know, it's times like this every four years. You see, you know, is that power base? It's it gets tested. Mm. You know, you could say during school board elections, you can see kind of, you know, dress runs for for the big municipal elections, um, but there's usually only about four percent. 5% maybe turnout in those school board elections. You know, it's not the true test to see if your particular political machine, a Baraka machine, uh, based out of South Ward, Central Ward, West Ward, and, you know, a North Ward, more Joe D, to use the colloquial way that people refer to the county executive, that machine, This, these are the moments when it's, everything's up for grabs, where you see are those machines really working? Are they truly in place? Mm. Yeah, and um, obviously we, we will get into the specific ward races, particularly the ones that are looking more competitive than others. Right. Um, but I still just want to like focus a little more on the the sort of um, the uh, the the citywide aspect of this before we delve into the uniqueness of each wards. And sure, I'm wondering. You know, obviously the mayor has some some of these big successes under his belt. I think. By far, the one at least he could hang his hat on the greatest and the one that probably is the most purchased with people is the lead pipe, uh, lead pipe removal, which uh, was initially, I mean, like, let's all be real, like, you know, in 2018, 2019, was questionable how that was going to pan out. And I think at this point has become, if not an unvarnished success, uh, something that the mayor can really run on uh, with some confidence and uh, some, uh, you know, probably duly deserved um 
plaudits, right? But I'm wondering, like, you know, aside from that, you know, is he doing enough on issues around gentrification, COVID-19 response? You know, what what is the feeling out there at the moment in terms of these other large issues? You know, the roads, actually. I, I often joke that, like, as much as we want the mayor to be, like, this grand legislator, like, municipal governance is such a banal form of uh, of um, political participation because you're really just making the lights turn on every day in a way that you're not dealing with like let's say federal interest rate policy is like right but Biden then you is. know but then you know you have an effective municipal government it's almost if you don't notice your municipal mm, government yeah. then it's doing its job yeah because when there's trash and rats in the street because that hasn't been picked up correctly when your street lights are out when the axle breaks on your car um, because of all the potholes and then your your car is stuck in a giant puddle anyway because your block has been turned into a lake because the drains aren't being taken care of correctly. That's when you see if your municipal government is working or not. It may be banal, but you know your inter- people's interactions with their municipal government is, for many people, the one way they most directly interact with their government. Where you know things on the county, state, national level, you know, almost can seem you know this this existence far far away, except maybe at tax time. It's those simple interactions we're talking about every day yeah. that are the ones that in, truly for me, people get their ideas about government and its effectiveness and its transparency on the local level because it affects them most directly. Yeah. In, in terms of in terms of what you're talking about with, with pipes, you know, um, I think in many ways, uh, politicians, this is across the board, not just Newark, uh, they almost count on voters to kind of have a short-term memory. Right. Um, it's no accident that, you know, many times right before an election, all of a sudden you'll see the pothole crews out with a sign up brought to you by Mayor X, you know, mm. working on your behalf. Right. When the lead pipe crisis first started to emerge in, in terms of its relative seriousness, it, it's got to be stated that the Barack administration in many ways said, listen, you know, I, I'm kind of being somewhat glib here, but they were saying, well, you know, nothing to see here. The problem is not that that serious. Um, you know, they even hired, you know, considerable public relations firms in this state to basically get the message out there that, listen, you know, it's not really, you know, it's not from the pipes, it's from the water. Let's point the finger anywhere else. Let's look at that shiny object over there instead of now we've got um, a very serious problem and an infrastructure problem that hasn't been addressed for generations. And now we have to pick up the ball and run with it and fix it. Right. And, you know, this in, in certain basic sense, you know, never mind, does your street lights work or, or do, are the roads safe? Can you drink out of the tap water safely? Um, and when you have no significant opposition, essentially, uh, there's nobody out there right now to, to say, hey, wait a minute. Um, actually, who did get who did fix these pipes? You know, the county and the state government essentially beat the city in many ways to the punch. Yes, the city were good stewards in terms of getting the pipes in the ground after the impetus from it came from another source. Now, this happens all the time. Politicians get credit for things they didn't really do all the time. And you can't fault the Barack administration for doing the same thing. But again, you know, do re- voters really call them into account um, for things that happened or for things that didn't happen? Yeah. You know, 
Yeah, right. I mean, like you, I think you're highlighting a bigger issue here, which I, I hate to bring up in in the sense of like how how much power does the city actually have, particularly right. with such a limited budget. Um, let's not even to tax abatements, right? Um, right? But like you know, like at the end of the day, like uh, like the the premier parks of Newark are controlled by Essex County. Right. right. The, the the major highways running through are a combination of the state and the feds. Right. Right. Uh, the port itself is is an entity that is shared with New York City. <laughs> right. right. Like port right. the Port Authority, the airports like it's a lot of infrastructure in Newark. And I don't want to just harp on infrastructure here, but that's obviously very important. The infrastructure in Newark, like it, it's astounding what is not controlled by us. Right. And so it's both like um, a credit, but also a sort of I don't want to say debit, but like a, a sort of uh, um a thing that the mayor doesn't have to worry about or run on, or, or could at least claim the credit for, which is the stuff that really is not under our control anyway, which is unfair to him too, because like, imagine if those things were under the mayor's control, they would be operated differently. <laughs> right. Uh, well, I mean, but, in, and you know, you, you bring up an important point in terms of forces outside of any individual politician that you can question whether that's really under their control, yeah. such as economics, national economics, the effect of COVID on cities, right? None of this is necessarily all under Mayor Baraka's purview. But at the same time, um, you know, the buck does stop with him. You know, there, there's a certain tone that is set um, by the mayor, whatever economic forces are at play. And, you know, the, the big word, you know, for Newark for, for a while now has been redevelopment. You know, there may be a, a temporary skip um, because of COVID, but we'll see what happens next. But again, who profits from this redevelopment? As, as of right now, there's increasingly an attempt to get development outside of the city's central core. Um, but in many ways, follow the money. Who is profiting directly from redevelopment? You know, is it um, is it the people in power? Mm. Is it the developers? Um, you know, it, are the people on the ground really going to benefit um, significantly in terms of jobs, safer living environment, you know, better schools from any redevelopment that happens in their in their community? You know, all these things need to be examined and they need to be questioned. You know, particularly at election time and going forward. Something Mayor Baraka is fond of saying among supporters all the time is you know, in terms of the future of the city is hold the line, hold the line, hold the line, hold the line from who is hold the line is keeping developers in check. Is it, um, thinking about who is moving into the city and in what numbers, you know, may have to think about what precisely that means and what the shape of the future of the city is going to be. And, you know, uh, is it necessarily to hold the line or amend the line, you know, in terms of in terms of a shifting population and a shifting landscape of the city, including affecting the power structure at the top? Yeah, I think and I think you hit the nail on the head here because um, sort of getting at this divide I talked about earlier about the banality of city government. If, if there's one place that the mayor does shine through is the sort of aesthetics of being a black mayor. I don't mean aesthetics to be uh, derisive here. I, I really do mean like aesthetics as in presentation. And it, it does show the sort of divide between, you know, I was at that same state of the uh, state of the union, state of the city <laughs> um, right. 
uh, where the hold the line really that came through. He was dressed in, uh, I don't want to say traditional African clothing, but it's a very sort of almost like Nehru jacket, modernist um, African uh, um, uh, sort of professional clothing. And he was doing that line. And I was looking at the audience. I was like, oh, my God, this is not a state of the city. This is really a political rally um, for all the best and all the worst of that, right? And right. what I often find in Newark is, at least in my discussions, not all of them. Um, sorry, a lot of my discussions are really substantive, but some are really about the sort of feeling of politics as opposed to, you know, core um core policy issues, which is not to blame. I mean, that's that's not to blame people. Like, this is one of the hard parts. And we could talk about turnout in a second, which I really do want to get to. Sure. Like, what's, you know, what what is the point of governance when turnout is at the three to 4% range? Maybe even less, I think, right? Like, um, you know, people have lives and like, it's so hard to pay attention to this stuff. So oftentimes you're hooked on a feeling as opposed to a particular policy issue. That's not always true. I, I think policy issues will will drive the eastward race, if not the westward race as well. Although I feel right. like less so in the westward, but more so. And if anything, I feel like the westward race is going to be more of a personality and a presentation race as, as opposed to the eastward, which is going to be definitely like who's most capable of stopping the flooding disasters that are occurring down there. Right. Um, but yeah, and let's actually, let's let's just get to this one last issue of turnout and then we're going to go to the ward races. So, you know, turnout is so low. What does that mean for the elections here? Does that actually change how they would be if let's say we got something in the orders of the 20% participation or even maybe 50%? Well, you know, look, and, and again, this is true across the board, uh, for any incumbent anywhere for a lot of people, uh, who are in power now, they, you know, enjoy the idea that there is a relatively low turnout or a relative lack of interest. You know, because, you know, people, uh, well, you know, this person's at the top. It seems to be relatively okay. You know, let's just keep going with the way things are, right? There's kind of a a sense of uh, complacency comes in. And in many ways, politicians uh, who want to stay in power for a long time, yeah, you could say, let's make make sure my machine is good in a typical urban election that we get people to the polls. Or maybe they enjoy complacency. You know, maybe they benefit from that complacency that people aren't coming out. Um, One thing that's interesting is, again, if you don't really have a competitive race for the top spot, you could have people come out um, for some of these war races because more interest. You know, again, if all politics are local, when they get hyper local, um, people can potentially come out in more numbers. Yeah. So um, let's get to specific ward races. And before we get to the wards, I want to talk about one candidate in a ward race in particular, which is, I think, astounding a lot of people. Yes. And that is Sharp James. Uh, uh, there you go. I, I'm right. sure if you asked a couple people in New York, they would have been like, oh, he's still alive. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, uh, like, just for full disclosure, I, I know I have a, quite a few listeners on this podcast who are not super familiar with Newark, but Sharp James was mayor from 1988. 89? 80, 80, 86 to 86. Oh my God. 2006, 20 yep. years. Because Holy again, people <laughs> need to understand from outside of yeah. Newark, Hey, guess what? We don't have any term limits. Yeah, we do, we do not you for sure. get elected mayor for life. You know, there's a certain, yeah. uh, you know, cult of personality factor in our elections. And the punchline to this story is that he was not elected in 2006 because 
uh, federal authorities prevented him from running in 2006. Right. He was arrested for some shady land deals involving uh, wife, right. mistress, he, he, he girlfriend. Looked, he, I can't he remember what she Cory was. Booker's footsteps. Yeah. He knew Cory Booker was well-funded from, you know, not only sources in New Jersey, but, you know, from Wall Street, Silicon Valley. He said, all right, eh, not this time. And it's, it's very interesting to think, and I'm not quite sure if this is exactly clear, if, you know, um, former Mayor uh, James, uh, as someone who was convicted, uh, can run again. Um, <laughs> but what's interesting is, again, you know, if you look at the, the landscape uh, of Newark, you know, when did, you know, the redevelopment of Newark in earnest, in many ways, start? It started when you saw the New Jersey Performing Arts Center go up um, in the 90s in downtown Newark, where Sharp James made, the, you know, to many people, the most unlikely of partnerships with the Republican governor at that time, Tom Kane. Tom, you know, New Jersey and you, perfect together, you know, using that patrician East Coast accent that's, you know, kind of like a, a dying dialect in, in this country now. Um, it was essentially Sharp James who got the ball rolling on that with Kane. Uh, the Prudential Center, you know, in downtown New York, you know, attracts a lot of people from events from all around the state in the New York, New Jersey metropolitan area. Again, um, James spurred that. Whatever that was going on in terms of corruption in the city of Newark, uh, Sharp James was a spark. And as part of that spark, he also got people in the city, lots of people, jobs, right? Now, you know, he's an older gentleman now, and there's been, you know, a solid generation who may not even remember him being mayor, but at the same time, he's got that residual respect from a lot of the population. Plus, you know, he was able reportedly to get a lot of signatures uh, to potentially, you know, get his name on the ballot. He still has the power to do that. He still has considerable amount of money in a campaign account, you know, waiting there for use, right? I think part of the reason why he was thinking about you know, some say, what's Sharp's angle? You know, is there a deal? You know, uh, you know, what does he actually want? Part of it might be that he, that his son, um, John Sharp James, has, you know, essentially decided not to run again for, you know, whatever his personal reasons are, not to run for council again. And, you know, Sharp James essentially might say, hey, listen, <laughs> you know, James' name is still, I still want this. I'm still, you know, feel the, you know, that I'm vigorous as a younger man, I can do it, I've got backing, I've got money, you know, essentially, why not me? Now, you know, unfortunately, uh, recently for, for Mr. James, he, he was involved in a car accident, maybe that shook him up. Um, you know, maybe it, for some people, it could call into question saying, you know, hey, you know, does he really have what it takes anymore to go do it? But, you know, it's what's in his mind, you know? And Sharp James is, is certainly a wily, you know, individual of whom people should be wary. You know, in what way, you know, are the votes that he can still potentially control, which way is he going to direct them? Is it going to be self-directed or for other people? Which particularly, if running at large, you know, could affect some of the other candidates, you know, backed by other forces, including Mayor Baraka. Yeah. Oh, so he is running at large. I was a little confused at that one. It's not. Yeah. A, if, so, if he yeah. ultimately goes through with it, he would be. He, my understanding is that he would be running at large. Okay. Yeah. I'm looking at the list right here. Um, I should pull up the list when we talk about these things. Uh, sure. Um, so let's go to the uh, um, the the sort of 
uh, interesting race uh, not too far away from uh, James's power base, and that's the West Ward. Uh, now, th- uh, that's, uh, I think, McCallum's old territory. He's not running. Correct. Uh, Joe, Mullen, Joe McCallum got in trouble yes. for allegedly uh, taking bribes and has decided, you know, whilst facing said legal difficulties not to run again. Yeah. And uh, obviously there are more people running, but I think if I'm not mistaken, it's the, the two front runners, so to speak, are Chigoze Onyema and uh, Dupre Do-It-All Kelly, two people who I've interacted with in the past um, and are interesting characters in their own right. And I would argue represent more of a personality, maybe also a policy difference, but more of a personality um, battle, I think, in the Westward. I don't know. How do you interpret that race? Well, I mean, look, there's, there's you know, interesting dynamics to the race in that originally uh, you had uh, Dupree, do it all Kelly, um, had some notoriety in uh, the uh, 90s, 2000s as a rapper with a group called Lords of the Underground. Uh, you know, he had run uh, to get a seat in 2018 uh, at large and, uh, you know, uh, took a drubbing. And it was maybe at that moment he decided, okay, if I'm really going to do this, you know, if I really want to be involved in politics and, and be successful in Newark, you know, I should align myself with, with powers that be. You know, the old colloquial expression, if you can't beat him, join him. So this time around, uh, he's backed by the support of Mayor Baraka and, uh, you know, hoping that, you know, that tide of votes, I think in many ways, because he's a, a relative political neophyte, He's depending on the Baraka machine, the apparatus for for fundraising, for troops on the ground to get him in. Now, um, you know, I should also mention um, there's Oscar James, yes, uh, former yes. South Ward Catholic. Yeah. He's, he was elected as the youngest councilman in the city of Newark on the Baraka slate back in 2006. Uh, he's also announced, you know, he's a works in real estate development. He's announced also that he's running for the West Ward seat, so we should also mention him. But at the same time, um, you've got Chigozi Onyema, right? Chigozi uh, comes from, you know, uh, you know, kind of a classic American story. He's a Newark-based attorney. Um, I believe at one time it worked for, you know, the uh, New Jersey Institute of Social Justice. Uh, he worked for the Department of Community Affairs, statewide government. Uh, within the last couple of years, and uh, you know he's the he's the child of Nigerian immigrants. Um, the classic American story. You know, Newark is such a city of immigrants, and it's just the nationalities change, but the story stays the same. That that striving to do better, to build up their dream. Um, he uh, grew up. He, I think he was essentially. You know, from the early years, he was in Newark. Then he, then he went out to Maplewood, and he's chosen to come back. Came back in 2018, bought a home in the West Ward, uh, got degrees at Essex County College, Howard University, NYU Law. Woohoo! Sorry, <laughs> my yeah, old my old alma mater. <laughs> there you go, and uh, you know, uh, is chosen. He could go make a lot of money in the private sector, but he's chosen to um, to run in this race. So it's an interesting dynamic. You've got a guy who, who has a you know, degree of popularity um, culturally. Um, you know, Dupree Kelly, he's a personal guy. 
and he's got the backing of the incumbency, which is very powerful to see, like New York. And then you've got Chigozi Onyema, who's uh, trying to build a more grassroots organization in the West Ward. Um, and, you know, I think he's I think he's got his own supporters in the city, um, you know, among certain middle class voters. Also, you know, again, changing demographics. We talk about changing overall demographics in terms of African-American and Latinx. But, you know, even among the African-American population, if you remember in a city like Newark, it's not just necessarily African-American, meaning the people who moved mm-hmm. from largely from the Great Migration to from the South, you know, over the last, you know, five, six, seven decades, but increasingly in Newark, you're seeing African immigrants from Africa, you know, from Nigeria, from Ghana, you know, even in my own building, I live in a building in the central ward of Newark, you'll have Francophone Africans um, in the city, African, you know, people of African descent from the Caribbean, from Haiti. Yeah, but say Haiti's the other big one. I I was, that first came to mind, right? (laughs) Right. And all of these, all of these groups, again, if we're following the traditional American pattern, eventually may seek political power. Everyone associates the Iron Band with Portuguese in many ways. It's the largest community. But uh, you didn't have a Portuguese-speaking councilman until August Amador in uh, Augusto Amador in 1998. They'd been been in Newark in the 60s and 70s. Sooner or later, they're going to want to develop their own power base and take power themselves. And this could be part of what you're seeing which goes to Yonyema. So it sets up a very interesting dynamic, you know, a dynamic of, you know, uh, the two lead candidates, you could say also Oscar James, because he, you know, he's still interested in the game, but between Onyema and Kelly, uh, two guys who are ambitious, you know, have decided to enter the game. They may come at from slightly different angles, but they're now competing in a ward where, um, you know, so far, Mayor Barack has liked to just fine uh, having, you know, almost unanimity on the council. Um, and he's got a solid ally in Dupree Kelly. Again, Kelly in many ways, as a, new, as a neophyte to politics, depending on the Barack apparatus, while Onyema is trying to develop his own. Um, you know, it could come down to, you know, the, these, competing, these competing visions um, including who's progressive. Yes. You know, yeah. I, I think there's an argument that both men are trying to say, no, we're progressive candidates. But, uh, you know, when you're, when you're in power and when you're associated with those in power, in some ways it's harder to make a progressive argument while Onyema could say, listen, I'm the one with the truly progressive record. Look who I've worked for. Um, you know, this makes me one of the more progressive candidates. So that's actually even a whole argument, a microcosm of the argument happening in the Democratic Party. Oh my, you beat me to the punch because that's exactly where I was going to go with this, which is, I th- right. like, I think the westward's the inverse of the eastward, and we're going to get to the eastward in a second. Sure. But I, I think you're totally right. They're, they're, what I see in these two candidates is the current fight within the Democratic Party you know, not to have them operate. They're, they're independent candidates. Don't get me wrong. They have their own flavors for sure. But I do see a little bit of the like, the sort of, uh, I don't want to say neoliberal, but like, you know, sort of Booker-esque, Obama-esque progressivism versus the the sort of more BLM uh, revolutionary progressivism, right? And, and, right? And, like, know, it's how, just so how, weird. <laughs> however, however you want to look at it, 
again, going looking at it on a hyper-local level, um, this election, the election in the West Ward, might be the election that turns the council. Because while there's some other races out there, and we're going to talk about the Ironbound in a minute, um, yeah, the Ironbound in certain ways, it's almost its own universe um, because of the unique nature of the neighborhood, often the insularity of the Portuguese community. You know, um, you know, I think in many ways, the top two candidates, both Portuguese-Americans and the Ironbound is going to do what it's going to do, but it generally aligns more as we were talking about with the Latinx block, right? So there's four votes over there. When you've got Onyema, I think Onyema is, you know, again, Dupree is very closely tied to Baraka. Onyema could be more independently minded. This means that on the council, sometimes he'll vote with Baraka, sometimes he won't. And uh, I think uh, Mayor Baraka in general, uh, with the tenor of his administration, wants everything all his way all the time. Um yeah, where he's, gonna see- uh, I was going to say, where he's, I think to stay on that point for a second, where he's had the most success with that, I think, and it's very underlooked, is the Board of Education, where he's, I think, successfully planted, uh, planted as a, sorry, that's actually being, that's putting the cart before the horse there, but like, he's, I think, successfully locked down that board for all intents right. and purposes. Right, and you know what, I mean, I can understand why politicians want to have an overwhelming edge, but, you know, in many ways... Um, you know, look, politics is a rough game, but Mayor Barack often seems to be somehow uncomfortable with anybody voicing any opposition um, to what he does in the city. That's extended not only through Mayor Baraka, but through his chief of staff, um, Amiri Baraka Jr., better known as Mitty. I'm, so, um, I'm surprised we got 45 minutes into this conversation without mentioning Mitty once. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> it's... Uh, you know, the old adage, you know, am I my brother's keeper uh, yeah. comes to mind uh, with Mr. Mitty, whose uh, leadership style as the brother's chief of staff, um, you know, often arches eyebrows around the city. Uh, and again, that's fine. Uh, you know, hey, you know, who else can I trust, you know, but my brother uh, to be the chief of staff? That is certainly one way of looking at how politics should be conducted. But I think under the surface, um, many in Newark silently chafe at that. And uh, that type of chafing can ultimately ripple down an election if a true opposition presents itself. And, you know, in the 2022 cycle, that opposition may not be at the top in terms of a mayoral battle, but there could be cracks in the foundation of kind of this... um, this sense often in the, in the Barack administration that uh, doesn't brook opposition very well, um, that doesn't handle the idea of opposition very well in terms of, you know, trying to uh, not just necessarily defeat it at the polls, but obliterate it completely. So um, I think people, you know, with the certain, certain tactics, um, certain ideas of, of people feeling not just that um, their voices can't be heard in terms of an opposition, but there might even be intimidation, allegedly, uh, to that opposition, that uh, that can be remembered by people at the polls. Right. Um, one, you need, can press, one need only go to Facebook, right, to see these videos that people allege occur. <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah, there's that. But I mean, hey, you can go to people and say, 
well, you damn well better put my sign in your window. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, you can't follow them into the voting booth. Yeah. You know, as much as, you know, I think politicians uh, count on people uh, having short memories of the poll, they also shouldn't count on them not remembering at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, like I said, this is the West Ward is, I think, all, all these issues just sort of layered into that election, which I think layered in particularly in yeah. terms of changing the balance of the council. Yes. Talks about yeah, where yeah. the West Ward could very well be the focal point of that. Yeah. Well, so let's move over to the East Ward where it's a little more interesting just because of a, a sort of incumbent with a, um, sort of long legacy there. I mean, uh, Augie Amador, like you said, has been representing that area of the city since 1998. But his um, his uh, de- decision not to run again has really opened the field there because there really was no anointed successor. Unlike, let's say, I think for all intents and purposes, let's be real, Lawrence Crump is the anointed successor of his mother, right? Like, right, 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 right. The, and, the, you know, which is certainly, look, in, in Newark politics, that kind of, you know, dynastic sense, you know, there's the Rice family, the yes. Baraka family, the Payne family. That is not necessarily unheard of. The James family. Oh, my God, how we forget now, that. Of course. Too. Yeah. Right. That, too. Um, and but, the Baraka family. Yeah. But here, I, 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 like, um, all – I don't know the background of Lewis Weber, but three of the candidates that have certified so far – I think Mike Silva is already certified, if I'm not mistaken, although there's right. questions yes, about sir. that. Right. Um, uh, are Portuguese Americans, I think, all born here. Um, oh, wait, Campos, is he Portuguese? Actually, I, I don't want to make that assumption. I've never asked him. Um, uh, but at least you know, have, he was, he was yeah. certainly raised in, in an overwhelmingly yeah. Portuguese American culture. Right. And his last name That's passes, which frankly, like it, it, what the name says on the ballot oftentimes matters, <laughs> like what, how people actually see that ballot. Um, but um, it's kind of interesting because trying to find the distinctions between the, the four candidates there is very interesting. Well, it becomes even more personalized because, again, mm-hmm. the nature of what we're talking about, you know, the name itself, the Iron Bound, you know, a neighborhood sealed off by the iron of the tracks, you know, from the New Jersey Transit. It, it is in many ways a world apart. And in certain ways, it conducts its politics the same way. Um You've got these candidates, you know, people, you know, joke. It's like, you know, every four years or so, it'll be like the Portuguese Civil War. Um, you have Anthony Campos, um, who was very high up in the police department. He's a former public safety director, uh, had a 30-year career that he retired from in 2016. Um, now, again, Campos, you know, he lost in a very close election four years to Augie Amador. Very close. Um, you know, in many ways, Augie Amador had the support of the North Wardic Democratic Machine that we've, we've mentioned earlier in this podcast. Um, Campos thinks, well, I've got my own base. Um, he's recently been endorsed uh, by some of the police unions. He was endorsed, including being endorsed by um, a recently outgoing police director, Anthony Ambrose. So, you know, he is reason to believe, you know, you, you go up and down Ferry Street, you'll see a fair amount of Campos signs. He certainly thinks he's got a support base. Um, now, Michael Silva, Michael Silva was you know, a 28 year veteran in the Newark Police Department, um, 18 years as a community service director. So, you know, both men through policing 
uh, got to be closely interacted with the public, you know, and people in the neighborhood. Um, Campos in certain ways from the from the top down, from a leadership position. Silver in certain ways more on the ground. But Amador is essentially, uh, you know, and, and Silver would admit this himself, you know, he's, he's Amador throwing the full weight of his incumbency and his year, years in office, you know, almost a quarter century as the councilman for the Amador, for um, the Ironbound, which in, for the East Ward, but in many ways it's almost like you're the mayor of the Ironbound uh, when you're the councilman for the East Ward. So he's putting his support strong behind it. Um, there's no love lost personally between Amador and Campos. That, that's part of it. But I think also Amador is looking to his legacy. You know, he, he'd like to hand it off um, to his handpicked successor. Um, and Silva will benefit um, from having, you know, the, the power of the North Ward uh, machine uh, behind him uh, to his advantage. Um, I think both men will be able to raise a lot of money. Um, again, you know, you have to remember about the Ironbound, that 60% of the property tax revenue for the city of New York comes from the Ironbound, 80% um, of the commercial taxes, because a large part of Newark Airport, for example, is in the Ironbound, the port facilities. You know, there is money in the, in the neighborhood. And again, both men have their followings. They will be able to, to get the significant money you know, even more money than people have anticipated in a ward race before, because again, this opportunity of an open seat. Um, it should also be remembered there that mentioned there are other uh, people in this race as well. Uh, one is you've got uh, Lewis Weber. He is the executive secretary of the Newark Police Department's Alcohol Beverage Control Unit. Uh, he's being backed by Mayor Baraka, and you know, uh, being in the position. Um, with the uh, with the alcohol, you know, beverage uh, division of the police, that is a very important thing uh, in the Ironbound, where there's a lot of restaurants. You know, people, you know, will keep that in mind uh, when uh, he, again the power of the incumbency, and also um, the fact that he's got that type of position, uh, which people are going to think about. You know, they they like the fact they have their liquor licenses; they need them. So uh, you know. Weber certainly on their radar. You also have Jonathan Siabra, who's on the radar of people in the Iron Banner in a different way. Uh, he's a local businessman, a young guy. Uh, I think in certain ways, um, wanting to differentiate himself as more of a progressive candidate. It should be noted that Silva, Campos, and Weber, um, all um, police officers. You know, Siabra is saying, well, you know, I'm a local businessman. I respect the police. But you know, I come from this business background, which would be considered. He also comes from, you know, in terms of being on people's radar, just, you know, walk around the, the most Iron famous Band. name. <laughs> there you go. You're going to see Siabra's name everywhere on the supermarkets, on the restaurants. You know, uh, they have built themselves a, uh, you know, a gastronomic uh, and food dynasty in yeah. the neighborhood. And, uh, you know, that's instant, the type of instant name recognition that's helpful for any political candidate. So maybe that's one, you know, easy differential in terms of three, uh, three men being three candidates being associated with the police and one not. But, um, you know, I think Siabra's trying to get his name out there. Uh, you know, he might be thinking towards the future, um, towards a generation that maybe isn't as institutional. Yeah. Um, isn't, you know, is thinking about other things. You know, public safety is very important in the Ironman. A lot of people, you'll heal people 
people in the neighborhood say yeah, it ain't what it used to be. You know, they're not feeling as safe as they used to. Um, therefore, public safety becomes very important, and therefore a, a police candidate becomes a very attractive factor. But in time, with another generation, uh, they may think differently and may look more to somebody like like a Siabra who's involved in business. But, you know, essentially, uh, this is going to probably be coming down to a slugfest between uh, Campos and Silva. A lot of money. Um, a lot of willingness, I think, on both parts. You know, Campos, because he's already done it. Silva has told me, you know, recently, uh, we interviewed him for a tap in Newark. He says, you know, I'm relentless. I, you know, he was in the street as a detective. He's not going to be uh, not knocking on doors. He's going to be out there. He knows he has to, uh, particularly in a neighborhood like the Ironbound, where people need to see you. Yeah. You know, people are very proud of being from the Ironbound, being from the old name Down Neck. They need to see you. So, you know, Silva and Amador, excuse me, Silva and Campos can have all the money they want. But if they're not present, if they're not actively out there, you know, on at people's doors, um, you know, they they risk failure. The best chance of success is to be visible. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned younger generations, because I think not to pivot too much to the future, but if there's going to be changes in the dynamics of elections in New York, it's almost certainly going to begin either in the East or Central wards, depending on which one has the bigger demographic shift. I mean, the Ironbound is also particularly weird because the Ironbound not only probably contains the highest number of recent transplants, people who have no political education in the city, right? Um, Right. You know, the only other areas of New York I think that's true are downtown and Forest Hill. And if northward politics are unique, we could talk about Annabelle Ramos, uh, although I feel like there's a lot to talk about there, but there's also not much to, if that makes any sense, because I think it, that is a very lockdown race. Uh, I don't think it's, in fact, the only ward race where no one else has declared. Or central, I think, is also true. Yeah, I mean, he he, yeah. he has, you know, and not just because of institutional force or any machine. Yeah. Again, Am- uh, he understands, Ramos, you need to be present in the neighborhood. You need to take advantage of the relationship that you yourself have built up. You know, the relationship that has been built up over time with Joe DiVincenzo, even stemming back to, you know, quite possibly the greatest power broker, you know, mm. we've seen in, you know, a very long time in New York, yeah. Steve Adubato, you know, yep. from the North Ward Center. They all, he all learned, they learned well from that. And, you know, he does come through with constituent services for the people in the North Ward and the voters, whatever institutional powers there, they do see him in the street and they do remember that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, in terms of future generations, in terms of the shift, you know, it is the East Ward and the Central Ward that is changing many ways. Central Ward, because there's all these new housing units, who's moving in? You know, and many people are moving in, or at least they were before COVID, um, you know, from Manhattan, from Brooklyn, from Jersey City, feeling that they're priced out. Let's move to a place where there's, you know, uh, nifty new buildings going up, buildings that have been renovated and has very good public transportation uh, throughout the region, including the Manhattan, you know, it's going to be attractive to those people. The Ironbound is the same is the same way. Here's a neighborhood that's already, you know, got all these restaurants, culture, close to public transportation. You're going to see people moving in there too. And in the classic immigrant pattern, you know, look, we we've seen this. What was the Ironbound? Right, the Ironbound, say a hundred years ago or longer, was you know, predominantly German and Irish. Right. Yeah. Then in time, it changed. Italian, Polish, 
then Portuguese. Now, increasingly, Brazilian, Ecuadorian, Peruvian, and those Portuguese who have been, you know, the predominant demographic powder since the 60s and 70s, are increasingly moving to the suburbs, which many people, you know, that's, the, again, the traditional immigrant and urban pattern, you know, in New Jersey and the United States. They're moving out to, to Hillside and further afield to places like Warren. They're moving, you know, and sooner or later, there's going to be an emerging, you know, emerging different power. Now, will it be, you know, a Peruvian candidate, an Ecuadorian candidate, a Brazilian candidate, you know, the people, the immigrant groups who have immediately moved in, or will be an entirely different voting block of, of these people moving in from, from Manhattan, Jersey City, Brooklyn. It remains to be seen. You know, it remains to be seen if those, the people moving for places, like from around the region, do they choose to get engaged in politics in places like the East Ward and the Central Ward, or they just say, okay, I've got a nice apartment. I'm going to take my train. I'm going to come home. And, uh, you know, I don't particularly feel the need to be engaged uh, in Newark politics. A lot of that will also depend if they send their kids to the local school system, because then again, you know, the power of children, the power of wanting the best for them could get them potentially more involved in local politics. This remains to be seen. I, yeah, I see that from a little different angle. I think you're, you're right in that observation, but I would like to add that a lot of those new groups, and you could sort of see this is true in Jersey City and Hoboken. Really, uh, my my generation, the millennial generation, has a, a strong distaste for machine politics, which is sort mm-hmm. of how the city operates. And it's going to be fascinating to see. It may not. It's definitely not going to be this election, but maybe twenty twenty six or twenty thirty, you might start seeing those are the division lines. And I mean, arguably, maybe that's what the westward is going on in the westward. It's the you know the the sort of um, are you a systemic politician or are you like grassroots or, you know, are, right. you, are you authentic? Just, right. Right. Yeah. And it's not just city politics. It's state politics. It's yes. the way, yes. you know, we, it is unique in our state. And again, this is about partisan elections, not nonpartisan like Newark is that the county, uh, committees for the county party organizations design the ballots, you know, mm-hmm. Line A all the way, the oh, prominent yeah. <laughs> position for the, you know, yes. you want to be right there in that A column, right there on the left. So, uh, you know, you don't have to look for the candidate you're looking for. People coming in from around the country, you know, I have friends who aren't from New Jersey and they're like, what did you say? When I tell them how, you know, things work. Okay, you want electoral reform. You want to, to change the ballots. You want to change line A. Well, this means you have to change the entire sense of, you know, party machinery in the state, both Democrat and Republican. Will these people moving in, you know, have the stomach to do that? Because, you know, that'll certainly not going to change overnight. It may not change at all if they are uh, disorganized because the, you know, the best political organizations in this state are very organized. They, they are, but only to a point. And I don't want to turn this right. to a longer discussion because – Right. I think the thing is institutional memory is maybe not as strong as we all think it may be. And weirdly, the way that these things will come down is not through reform, but just like a quiet dying out as they're slowly just become less able to grapple with a digital and modern age, if that makes any sense. No, like, no, it does make sense yeah. because, you know, they have to they have to change with the times. Yeah. You know, what is the next generation? You know, you, you saw one of the reasons why Steve Adubato was so effective in the North Ward in Newark. And yes. he said, all right, I know my ward is changing. It's not going to be predominantly Italian anymore. It's moving towards uh, Latino population, particularly the Puerto Rican population. So he built it up. You know, 
he helped to groom an, a, a new generation, you know, a generation where you see like Anibal Ramos Jr., uh, State Senator Teresa Ruiz, um, who is now wielding a great deal of power um, as the, uh, you know, the Senate uh, Majority Leader, um, replacing outgoing Majority Leader Loretta Weinberg. She's becoming an increasing power in the state, you know. Then the generation after that, who is going to be the generation after that? You know, it remains to be seen to keep that type of legacy power going can be a challenge. There has to be a will to do it. And, uh, you know, same thing in, in Newark in terms of African-American power. Yes, you have all these many dynasties in Newark. You have the Jameses, you know, the Paines, um, the Baracas, the Rices, right? But, you know, will those generations, will that continue? Um you know, if you already seen doing the James family, John Sharp James is, is decided, no, you know, ultimately, I don't want to be mayor. You know, I want to go in a different direction. You know, what happens with the Baracas remains to be seen. You know, who's going to be the you know, eventually congressman um, after Donald Payne? Who's up for election? Well, I, ha- I have a prediction of what will happen there, but that I'll save for another podcast. Yeah, before, and this is a, a great peroration, but I just want to, before we go to close, you know, ask you, are there any last observations you have about this race? Maybe other things to just look out for. Um, I, I don't want to just a horse racey. I don't think we should make any predictions, but just things that like, you know, I think we should leave the audience thinking about before uh, before they go to the polls. Well, you know, I would also like to remind people, you know, we've talked a lot about the East Ward and the West Ward. You know, we've talked about, you know, the potential interjection of Sharp James uh, going forward for uh, at-large races. But also, um, we have to look at the case of Eddie Osborne. Yes. It, yeah. Eddie Osborne running at-large for years, you know, on the slate with Ross Baraka, suddenly no more, right? Yep. Um, you know, he's been, you know, involved in unions as a union official for years, uh, a loyal labor soldier. And, uh, you know, my sources have essentially, you know, indicated to me that, uh, you know, according to the Barakas, that has said, you know, and this is again from sources, that, you know, Mr. Osborne wasn't considered to be a team player anymore. Um, and before, um, you know, the laborers, you know, got to kind of have a conversation to power with Osborne to see if we could work things out. Uh, the mayor just kicked Osborne off the ticket um, without any potential conversation with Ray Pacino, who is a major uh, labor figure in this state, closely aligned with Eddie Osborne or with anybody else with the laborers union who Osborne's associated with. And, you know, uh, you know, you talk about the power structures of New Jersey politics and machines and legacy, whatever. One, one uh, complete hardcore truth in New Jersey politics is that the unions still matter. Yeah. You know, for the future. Um, you know, I would not be surprised if the laborers went in very heavy. Uh, for Osborne in this election, it's planned to spend a lot of money for him because uh, they feel like their their union brother has been disrespected, and what that could also mean going forward, you know, maybe in twenty two, but for the next round in twenty twenty six, that type of union support that Barack enjoyed, particularly in twenty fourteen, 
in terms of having those troops on the ground to help him get the bodies to the polls, get elected, uh, that type of support could very well now be frayed. So again, it will be an interesting test, you know, an interesting test to see at large, you know, the power of the labor unions um, versus the power of, you know, the kind of, you know, and this happens a lot in Newark politics, the cult of personality that yeah. has developed around Mayor Barack. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the unions because I think, like, in the past, we would have been talking about, you know, the Longshoremen, right? <laughs> but now it's right. like the SEIU, right? And the teachers union, right? Like, these are the, the sort of dominant forces in the city, you know, both employing a lot of people, but also, you know, representing a lot of interests that are, you know, right. can align with the and city. And in Newark, yeah. the laborers union is not to be trifled with. No, God no. <laughs> if anything, nope. no. I, I and, was uh, I, I was a union member you know, of this, this city. <laughs> this, this allegedly is kind of what has taken place yeah. regarding Mr. Osborne, and uh, you know, okay, politics is uh, rolling the dice. If that's the way you want to roll, let's roll. Let's see what happens. So I love that we're ending on like union politics in Newark. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know what? You know, to, to go to, to end. Yeah, sure. If I may, you know, we we started off this conversation uh, talking about you know, what's happening in Ukraine and the fact that there is a Ukrainian community still um, in Newark, uh, in the West Ward of Newark. Again, demographics change over time. You know, we've talked about how, for example, the African population has become very prominent in, in the West Ward of Newark. But, you know, there are still Ukrainians in the West Ward and in neighboring Ivy Hill, the Ivy Hill apartments. You know, uh, you still see Cyrillic written in certain places and, you know, Ukrainian and Russian you know, heard, um, you know, in terms of that Ukrainian population, you know, you got to remember these people are literally dying in the street right now for the right to participate in democracy, in an emerging democracy against an autocratic regime. You know, people, you know, whatever, whoever they think the powers that are be in a city like Newark or, you know, whatever powerful forces are at bay, whether it's economic forces from the outside or, or political machines from within, you know, that, that right to vote, that willingness of people to literally die for the right to vote around the world is something people need to consider. Um, not only every four years in Newark, and they certainly need to be thinking about it now, but going forward, you know, for the next four years afterwards for generations, because it's, you know, Newark is, can be such an amazing place, right? Ken Gibson said it, said it best in many ways. You know, wherever American cities are going, Newark's going to get there first. It would be nice to think that the, a kind of a reinvigoration of people's participation in, in civic life, in civil society, in elections, in municipal governments can also happen here in Newark by people choosing to get truly involved and truly engaged in their democracy in the same way people are trying and dying for in Ukraine right now. That is amazing. Uh, I, I want to thank you, Mark, for that. And I want to end with the last question I ask every guest on this podcast, which is, what are you excited for in Newark? Cherry blossoms, baby. Yep. Cherry, I, knew, I knew that was it was going to be that. Uh, anytime it gets right. anywhere near April, everyone's like, it's going to be the blossoms there. It's cherry blossoms. Coming. And of course, that gives you an opportunity to ride past all my favorite hot dog trucks yep. in uh, in Newark at the same time. But I digress. When the, when the trees <laughs> explode in in you know red and pink and white and magenta it's the most glorious time of the year in this city i love it 
Yeah, uh, for me, it's uh, a little soon because I feel like April's really when we're going to see them. But uh, St. Patrick's is coming up, and that's always going to be fun. And this will yeah. be the first time that it's truly – I think last year they did some in person, but I think it was very limited. From what I'm hearing, there's going to be a lot more going on. I had Rob Lynch of Kilkenny's you know, told me to come by. And and, uh, and people absolutely should. You know, people, we need to support our parade. You know, the New York yeah. St. Patrick's Day Parade's been going on, you know, since the 30s. You know, it, it's important that it, it's – you see the parade downtown where, where so much is starting to happen now in Newark. And, you know, that, that generational sense of, of, you know, the Irish being part of Newark's civic life. Um, you know, it's, it still plays a role in Newark, but it's also a sign, you know, people should come to that parade from everywhere around the state. Yeah. You know, it, you know it's, a, it's a true celebration of the city, and I hope people from all over... You know, all roads lead to Newark. All trains come to Newark. I'd love to see those those people here uh, for St. Patrick's Day, as well as for, of course, the cherry blossoms soon to come in, in Branchwood Park. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and that's it for this episode. I'd like to thank our guest, Mark Bonamo. This is Manny Antunes, host and producer of the Pot and Market podcast. Editing and sound engineering by Bob Fraze. Podcast and logo design provided by Robert Conti. Additional creative input by Samantha Cateas. If you have a subject you would like to hear discussed on the podcast, please email podandmarket at gmail.com or contact the pod through social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And I'm going to end with a quote um, from a book here called Undoing the Demos, Neoliberalism Stealth Revolution by Wendy Brown. It's a really interesting collection of essays about the sort of trying to uh, make an argument for bringing back this idea of uh, the sort of Aristotelian like political animal that is a human, as opposed to the sort of neoliberal construction of the human, which is a the so-called Homo economics economicus, right? This idea that we're just a, a rational actor trying to pick between the best economic options. And I think it's this has a really great passage about the importance of democracy. Democracy in an era of enormously complex global constellations and powers requires a people who are educated, thoughtful and democratic in sensibility. This means a people modestly knowing about these constellations and powers, a people with capacities of discernment and judgment in relation to what it reads, watches, or hears about a range of developments in its world, and a people oriented toward common concerns and governing itself. Thank you.